This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, here we are. It's Wednesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. One Bills Live is the show. And I am promising you today our show is not going to be hijacked by yet another retirement of Tom Brady. We will mention it. We will reflect on it momentarily. And then we are moving on. I'm not giving time to this guy. I'm sorry. Color me jaded. Whatever you want to do. My favorite line from the coverage so far was a line on that show, First Take on ESPN. I believe it was Molly Karam who said it. And she said, you got to respect Tom Brady, a guy who never cheated the game. (laughs) Brownie lost it when she said that. Are you kidding me? Did you actually put that sentence together beforehand, or did you just say it off the cuff? I actually never cheated the game. <laughs> okay. I thought Brown. Okay. Oh, I thought Brown was going to put his laptop through the through the TV. I almost had three veins pop out of my oh skull. Oh my gosh! Never oh, cheated the game. Get awesome. the heck out of here with that. Get the heck out of here. Good. So he's got to hide behind a sand dune and retire a second time. Very nice. I said nice. this. Here's my take Best on of it. luck to you, buddy. The, the Patriots and, their, and the, all the Super Bowls they went to and won, um, it's amazing that they. It, you would think in a perfect world a team and a franchise who was able to do that, even with one quarterback who's, who's, very good, who's awesome, that would, they would just get way more attention and respect than they do from the people – um, inside the game, um, I don't see that happening. In fact, the people I talk to, they're all like, they, you know, they're kind of like shrug their shoulders, and say, "Yeah, it's a, there's none of this in in back rooms where people whisper in all like, wow, those guys are really good. They really got to go.' There's none of that because there is such a specter of secretive and being caught cheating on so many different avenues of the game they just don't get the respect a team who has won that much would get Uh, plus they do a lot of things with their hiring and the way they run their program that just screams that they have secrets to keep Uh so they're and and I think some of that goes over in Tom Brady's career so people are just kind of he doesn't get that kind of level of respect because of the specter of all the stuff they've been caught doing outside the rules so while Brady is play even just playing the game like he did for as long as he get it to the age of forty five, is a remarkable achievement, no question about it. But with the franchise and the teams that he was a part of, and and the specter that is always there with them, he'll never get as much respect as much as he gets. Um, he's not going to get what you would think a guy of that. He's far and away his numbers and his accomplishments are are just dwarf everybody's. But because of the specter of cheating that is associated with him, he'd never get the amount of respect yeah. you would think a guy like he would. That's that's where I'm at right now. Right. And I think more of that cheating history falls on Belichick than it does on Brady. Sure. But Brady was suspended. Well, he was a beneficiary of it. Yeah. He was a beneficiary of it, and he took part in at least one of them that we know, namely Deflategate. So, fine. Your career's over. Thank God. I know we're going to have to unfortunately see on Fox as an analyst, but whatever, dude. Yeah, whatever. Well, there you go. Um, Belichick, by the way, hasn't won a playoff. He's got one playoff victory without Tom Brady on his roster in his career. Fantastic. Uh, that's enough of that. I'm going to get to more encouraging topics. Uh, DeMar Hamlin 
has teamed up with the American Heart Association to encourage people to learn how to perform CPR. Obviously, that was a critical technique that saved his life on the field in Cincinnati just about a month ago. So he's teamed up with the American Heart Association, and then he has a three-point plan, kind of in tying in with his jersey number three. And basically, it goes like this. Step one is learn CPR. Step two is donate to the Heart American Heart Association. And step three is to challenge three other people to do the same. Uh, Steve and I have been challenged by a Bills fan online, so I'm ready to uh, get myself familiarized with the techniques of CPR. Um, I learned some of the steps back in the day, back in like junior high school, where we had to do it as part of health class. We weren't certified in it per se, but we had to learn it, just the basics. Um, it's probably long overdue. Probably should learn that. Um, I know my... You said your wife knew how to do it. My wife learned how to do it being a former lifeguard. She was certified for a long time, too. So, yeah, I should probably get on the ball with that one. So I accept the challenge, I guess I should say. Yeah, well, yeah, it's, it's a great idea. Great, yeah, and it's, and it's a good idea to do, not just be, and we've all been reminded of it by what happened in Cincinnati on well, that yeah. night. And uh, it's great. So, um, yeah, I'll be making a donation as well to uh, – to that so it's it's a good that's a nice challenge now now we have to challenge three other people yes so we'll have to do that in due course right. i think i gotta i think i gotta do my part first and then i'll worry about challenging three other people but <laughs> right. good for damar you know turning what could have been a horrible negative into another positive and that's just kind of the guy he is so not surprised but glad he was able to channel that in a positive way and help the American Heart Association in the process. We have some coaching carousel news that pertains to the Bills. According to reports, Bills receivers coach Chad Hall will be interviewing with the Baltimore Ravens for their vacant offensive coordinator position. I was scouring the wires to try to find if there have been other candidates interviewed, and I could not find any names. Now, some of their in-house candidates uh, include their quarterbacks coach. So it's presumed that they'll probably interview a couple of guys internally. But as far as other external candidates, I have not seen any besides Chad Hall. So we'll have to see where that goes. Perhaps the process is just beginning. No, it's knowing it's been just about a week since they mutually parted ways with offensive coordinator Greg Roman. Right. There, yeah. But there is a tie there because I believe Chad Hall was playing – receiver for the Philadelphia Eagles when John Harbaugh was there as special teams coach. So there is some familiarity. Right. Um, so I guess that makes sense to some degree. Chad Hall has never been a coordinator, so that would be a major promotion for him uh, if, in fact, the Ravens hired him. So we'll have to see how that plays out on that front. Interesting, to say the least. Though. Uh, yeah, and it's interesting, too, because they're gonna, going after a wide receiver coach, somebody who's been around Brian Dayball and all those guys who, who has enough of a hand in a creative passing attack to go over and start coaching up Lamar Jackson, who, you know, up to this point, they've been a run-first offense. And it does, I think, tip the scale as to what the Ravens are trying to Demonstrates do. Demonstrates a yeah, shift in philosophy. Exactly. For and, sure. That's, I think, the most telling part of this interview. Yeah. 
So we'll have to see how that goes. And it could be, and we may be out of it. Could be the fact that John Harbaugh knows and likes Chad Hall has given him this, so that other teams will say, "Oh, they're they're looking at Chad Hall." Let's and then give him a chance to ex- get more interviews because the Ravens took him seriously. Uh, some coaches are, have been known to do that for guys, but I don't. I don't know. Yeah, it's about time though. Chad Hall's been a really good assistant coach here for a for an offense that's been really prolific. So yeah. it does make sense. We are going around the NFL, which is presented by Collida Health, the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills. And the head coaching openings filled up fast yesterday. We saw Frank Reich get formally introduced as the new head coach of the Carolina Panthers. And then after we were off the air late afternoon yesterday, D'Amico Ryans named as new head coach of the Houston Texans, where he played a good portion of his playing career as a linebacker. He seemed overjoyed to be getting that job. He called it a dream job. They have a lot of work to do, but they do have a lot of draft capital. So if Nick Casario, their GM, can kind of hit on some draft choices, including quarterback, D'Amico Ryans could very well turn that thing around sooner rather than later. He's not playing in a super strong division. I think we could all agree that the Titans are on the decline and the Colts have no quarterback themselves. So really it's the Jaguars. Yeah, so it's really just the Jaguars at this point in time that are the main obstacle to dramatically improving your status in the AFC South. So D'Amico Ryans goes there, 37-year-old head coach. And then moments after that, Sean Payton was named head coach of the Denver Broncos as the Broncos decided to cough up a first-round pick, I think a second-round pick, and maybe another yeah, uh, to get the contractual rights to Sean Payton, who still had contractual rights tied to the Saints in the coaching profession. Um, I've got. I went down and found this. Uh, this is what the Broncos gave up, and I'll, I'll tell you what they gave up, and here's what they got in return. What they gave up was three first-round picks, three second-round picks, a fifth-round pick this last year. Drew Locke, Noah Fant, and Shelby Harris. Oh, you're talking about the tr- com- combination yes. of traits. What they got was Russell Wilson, Sean Payton, and then last year's fourth-round pick, and in two years they'll get a third-round pick. So they traded all those, those three players and seven draft picks for Sean Payton, Russell Wilson, and two other draft picks. Um, got to take a page out of the Rams book there. That's right. But they got Russ. Think about it though. They got Russ Wilson and Sean Payton for those, for those pl- draft picks and players. And it's it's you know, three firsts and three seconds. That's um, a big, plus the other stuff. I don't know. It could be worth it. I mean, you really think if these guys yeah. come out, if if Sean Payton gets out of Russ Wilson, what Pete Carroll got out of Russ Wilson? Yeah. It's brilliant. So right now, there are five NFL clubs that no longer have first-round picks this year. They are the Broncos, the Browns, the Dolphins, the Rams, and the 49ers. So Broncos, for obvious reasons, with the Sean Payton acquisition. The Browns still paying the price for Deshaun Watson. The Dolphins for the Bradley Chubb trade. The Rams, because they're the Rams. And the 49ers who acquired Christian McCaffrey from the Carolina Panthers via trade. So uh, those are the teams without 
a first-round draft choice. Um, it's, you always wonder how these are going to pan out because the Dolphins acquired Bradley Chubb, who didn't really help him this year at all. Maybe with a new defensive coordinator, it, they, he will. But he was disappointing down the stretch for Miami, which finished 24th in the league in sacks, by the way. Right. Um, the 49ers did get a boost from Christian McCaffrey, got to the NFC title game, but injuries killed them. Yeah, but that wasn't – yeah, but the trade didn't kill them. The trade didn't kill the them. The injuries killed them to the quarterbacks. And um, then the Browns, you wonder if they're already lamenting the fact that they still have two more first-round picks to hand over to the Texans for the rights to acquire Deshaun Watson, who also, by the way, has a $230 million fully guaranteed contract. That's, one thing, that, that's one thing as well. Um, the – I, I told you all the things that Denver got back. They got Sean Payton and Russ Wilson back, but they also got Russ Wilson for $165, $165 million in guaranteed money. Uh, $124 million's already been given to him. <laughs> so it was all that stuff plus that money and plus whatever they're paying Sean Payton uh, along with the, That's going to be a hefty sum. Too. Sure. It's probably, what, $15 million a year or something at least. That's what he, they said. That's what the ballpark was. Wow. Um, but if they can win, if they bounce back and build the roster and win, I'll say, then, you know, hey, it's all worth it. Think about this, though, with Sean Payton. He left New Orleans after winning a, a, a Super Bowl and then getting to the – remember, this was the Nicole Roby Coleman pass interference that got the Rams into the Super Bowl that, they, that was at the expense of the – Saints so Sean Payton put together a really good football team and they were at the top of the heap in the NFC for year after year after year after year but now in this last starting with this last year his first year gone they were 75 million dollars over the cap in February 75 million they were like almost 40 they were 40 percent over the cap so astounding I don't know that his philosophy of building a, a roster is long-term possible. Right. Um, it's not sustainable, obviously, because now they're, they're still 40-whatever million over the cap this year. I just don't think they care. They just move the money around every year and make it work. I mean, they were $110, 12000000 million over the cap last year. And somehow, yeah. you know, it's like, a, it's like an 11th-hour fire sale. Every time they get right. to the end of the league year, it's crazy. And they do it every – I don't know how you live like that. I really don't. Forget about playing football every Sunday. How do you live like that with the books? It's just That is enormous, enormous stress. Now, here's some interesting stuff about the draft, Steve. Four teams have multiple picks in the first round. The Eagles have their own pick and the Saints pick. So they're going to pick 10th. The Eagles, they're going to pick 10th and at the bottom of the round. The Lions have their own pick, and the Rams pick from the Stafford trade. Which is pretty high this year. Yeah. Considering the Rams. They're picking 6th from the Rams. 6th. <laughs> Top 10 pick. Seahawks have their own pick and the Broncos pick from the Russell Wilson trade. The Texans have their own pick and the Browns pick from the Watson trade. So the Texans are picking 2nd and 12th. Then you have this. The Lions and the Seahawks each have four picks in the first two rounds. 
They have two ones and two twos. You hit on those, man. You're in, you're in business. Well, it certainly gives you a boost at the right spots. The Eagles I, have three in the first two me, rounds. So do the Panthers, Steelers, and Texans. When you're, uh, yeah, the second and the twelfth pick. I wonder if you do a could, lot of damage. Yeah, I wonder if you could trade a those two for like a one and three twos or four twos. You know what I mean? Why would you want to do that? Well, because because you need a quarterback. Houston's going to stay there at two. Yeah, yeah, but. And, and the other teams, like Detroit as well. Detroit could do the same thing. But you could get – my point is this. You could completely, completely rebuild an, a complete offensive line. You could oh, get, okay. I see You could saying. completely rebuild an offensive line. You could, you know, you could absolutely become dominant at a place where even if, if you had a good secondary, you could take, you know, another top-flight corner and, you know, even make it stronger, that kind of thing. I, I, you could really transform your roster because you could build – a component of either offense or defense. In my in my case, I'm talking offense. You could build a, an offensive line that's dominant overnight. Yeah, and it would be dirt cheap. Uh, get three. You could you know because we've all talked about it. and It's becoming more, and people are screaming it on social. All these analysts are talking about. It. I read this thing today. Here's how you do it. Here's the here's the trends in the National Football League that are happening. It's all about. The big dudes, it's up front, offensive line, defensive line. And in a league that's an offensive league, like we all harp about that it is, it's the offensive line, Brosleaf. Get those guys. Everybody's scrambling. We talked about it. We can't even expand the National Football League because they don't have enough offensive linemen that can play. Get those guys and stock up on them. I was saying it tongue-in-cheek the other day. My first three picks for the Bills are O line, O line, and O line. Yeah, I mean we do, we've got this. I know that's not necessarily realistic. I mean we'll get but. to it, but that's what our Twitter question was today, and that you know, and our you know the fans are talking to us about that as well. I mean that I'm with them. If you got if you, uh, it's not sexy, but it's necessary. Think about this: five years ago, or however long it was, Dak Prescott comes in the league same year as Zeke Elliott. Those two jokers those two rookies go 12 and 4 because they've got an absolutely dominant yeah they had four offense. pro bowl players they on had their four off four pro bowl players on their offensive line, and they were all as big as a, a as big as a volkswagen bus all four of them they were huge and they could run they were at them and they you know dak prescott as a rookie went further than dak prescott as a fifth-year player because of those guys that's it, man. That's that's the key to life in the NFL for me. Mm-hmm. Those guys got to be outstanding, and you got to have like nine of them. Yeah, but you can't have nine veteran ones. You can't afford them. Yeah, and that's what happened with Dallas because the good ones are like twenty million a pop. Right, and their line kind of disintegrated because they couldn't pay everybody. So you got to keep on drafting them. Yeah, you got you Lyle Collins cheap. playing in Cincinnati. Yeah, now. you need cheap labor, um, and that comes in the draft. So, yeah, you should be should be drafting linemen every year on both sides of the ball. I agree. Just from a numbers perspective I, alone. I mean, you got to put five guys out there every week. And I know pass and dress rushers. eight. I know the Bills have been going with the pass rushers, you know, all the way, you know, A.J. Epinesa, Greg Rousseau, Boogie Basham, Ed Oliver. I mean, they drafted Brown and, you know, Tommy Doyle, but – that was in the middle rounds. Yeah, and they 
Mm-hmm. Cody Ford a few years back in the second round. Wyatt Teller, who has, Wyatt Teller who has become a like, you know, a, kind of a you know, proverb right. here in Buffalo. You don't know what you got until it's gone. That kind of thing. And then, you know, this team was set back dramatically when Eric Wood and Richie Incognito both left from one year to the next unexpectedly. Right. We didn't expect we didn't at the end of the year you didn't expect to lose either one of those guys. And he lost both of them. Well, definitely not both. Wood was gonna be here because he had signed an extension. Right. And when he when he Eric couldn't play and then Richie Incognito couldn't go, and that's it. They just that was like guys taken right off the top. And you know, you never recovered from that. They never recovered from that. That next year, which was Josh's rookie year, when he was forced to play, it was it could have been so much better with those two guys. So mm-hmm. I, I'm, I am all about it. I'm, we, we, I don't know how we got down this rabbit hole of talking about offensive linemen and how important they are, but that's, that's where I see it. That's where I see it. And all these guys, you know, the, you see these oh, – I, I know how we – because we're talking about these draft picks of these teams and where they would go. You see all the analysts and all the stuff coming out of Birmingham or wherever it is, not the Senior Bowl – all they do is show highlights of offensive linemen one-on-one. Game film, practice film, all you see are the big guys. Nobody see, I don't see any great catches. I don't see quarterbacks throwing it. All I see is the big dudes. It's become the mantra, I think, in the league. Yeah. And it's going to it's gonna keep – I think it's going to stay that way for a while. I don't, I don't see it changing. No, and I – it, the way the league is set up, too, it's hard to stockpile those guys. They tend to be spread pretty evenly. These guys have got good tackles, but their interior linemen are bad. And those guys have got a really good center and a good right tackle and right guard, but their left side's really weak. You know, it's all mixed up. And, and, and you know, teams make do. That's what a lot of teams do. You, they're stuck doing that. I remember last, two years ago, I think it was, when the Bills really got good. They had like 13 guys in training camp on the offensive line, it was like, I don't know who's going to play. These guys are really good. Yeah. And certainly they that's the year they kind of took a big, big step forward in 2020. There is uh, a little bit of news in the AFC East. NFL Network's Ian Rappaport is reporting that Dolphins quarterback Tua Tagovailoa has cleared the NFL's concussion protocol. He met with several medical professionals through the course of the process. And according to Rappaport's report, they are confident he'll be 100% when the time comes for football. So good to hear he's out of the protocol. It took him approximately, what are you going on? We're going on about eight weeks now? Maybe nine? It was the week before, it was week 18 of the regular season, right? No, it was before no, that. No, it was before, before that. that. Yeah. I'll tell you when it was. I can't remember when it was, but I want to say we're going on about two months here. I know exactly when it was. It was the time when they played. Uh, was it the? Was it the Rams? When what? Who? What? What's? Yeah, we'll have to look it up during I the break because I can't remember off the top of my head. But wasn't the? It was the Jets. It was week. Was it week eighteen or was it the Jets? I, I want to say it was Packers. before that. So it was after the Bills game. I think it might have been the Packers game. I think it was the Packers game. It was the Packers game. So it's one, two, three, four. It's been four weeks, five weeks, a month. Okay, that's it. I thought it was longer than that. All right. Well, either way, it's good that he's out. It's going to be very interesting what the future holds because when you have several of them 
in close proximity, that's when you really run the risk of a career being over. That's what happened to Kevin Cobb, who never played a regular season game for the Bills because he got another concussion in a preseason game while he was with the Bills and then was out for that year and never played football again. He had approximately seven in three seasons, and Tua's had three in one season. So they're going to have to really, really watch that between, you know, what happened this past season and what's going to happen from here on out. Um, you hope the recovery time here in the offseason is enough for him to kind of continue his career as normal, but I, I'm really wondering if he's going to have a different kind of helmet, you know, that he's wearing next year, et cetera, et cetera, because yeah. he does run the risk of seeing his career cut short if he has one or two even next year. You know what I mean? Like, Oh, yeah. He's he has a, one or two next year, five and two in a calendar year. Yeah, that's bad. It's really bad. It's really bad. Now, they, I have said, and I don't know if this has changed. I, I think I might have said this before I'm talking to somebody about it, that they, the adage always was when I was playing that if you allow yourself complete, to be completely healed from a concussion, you're no more susceptible to getting another one than you would have been otherwise without the first concussion. But the less 100% you are and getting and receive another concussion, um, it takes less force to give you the second concussion. And subsequently, if you don't heal from the second concussion, it takes less to give you the third and less to give you the fourth. So that it's, it's imperative that you completely get away from that concussion and get 100% healed before you go back and, and risk another one because then it does get then it does get bad. Uh, but that's what we were always told as players, that if you do get 100% out of the other concussion, you're no more susceptible to a new one. I don't know if medical, uh, medical information has told us differently at this point. Yeah. So good, best of luck to him. But, man, it's, I'm going to cringe. He, I don't even root for that guy, and I'm going to cringe every time he takes a hit. I really am, just because of his concussion history. Yeah. So – Hope the best for him, but, man, it's going to be tough playing that position, primarily because he's not good at avoiding the big hits. He's really not. Well, And he's not big. The s and, yeah, you know, he's Brownie. somewhat mobile, but he's not really exceptionally mobile. Brownie, you say he's not good at avoiding the big hits. Those concussions weren't – none of them were big no, hits. No, they – well, no, they, they weren't. His, he fell on the That's ground. That's what's even scarier. Head. He banged his head on the ground. And, you know, Dolphin fans, as, as every fan base would do, I mean, Dolphin fans, when, you know, Matt Milano's the guy that kind of pushed to, he threw the ball and Matt pushed him down. Yeah. And he got the concussion from that. He got up staggering. And that's when the, the finger quote back injury happened before the next yeah. one, then when he really went down. You know, that was not a bad hit. And then the other one was the whip down. He got whipped down onto the ground by on his jersey. Thursday, yeah, and that was on the Thursday game that followed the Sunday where he had the back injury, which was a concussion, as we all yeah. believe. And then it was it was turned into a, yeah. a bad season. So to wrap up around the NFL, there are only two remaining head coaching openings left, that being the Cardinals and the Colts. And we'll see how quickly those are filled now that the dominoes have begun to fall. Topic of discussion today, what are your top two roster priorities for the Bills this offseason? Whether it's offense, defense, special teams, where 
do you place the roster priorities, your top two for this team for this offseason, 803-0550, the number to get on board. We have some open lines for you there. Coming up in the second hour of the show, we will have salary cap guru Mike Giannitti joining us from SpotTrack.com. Really an all-in-one site for keeping an eye on the cap, how things could work for your team. He even has some interactive tools you can use if you want to run through restructuring this guy or that guy for your team, you can do all of that uh, on his site. Some really good stuff on there. So it'll be good to catch up with Mike in the second hour of the show as we talk off-season priorities with him as well. But we want to talk with you first at 803-0550, What are your top two roster priorities with the Bills roster this off-season? We take a break here, but we're back with your phone calls and your tweets next on One Bills Live, presented by Collida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. What are your top two roster priorities for the Bills this offseason? You can let us know at 803-0550-1888-550-2550. We go to the phones now, and we lead off with Al in West Seneca. What do you, what do you got for us, Al? You're on One Bills Live. Thank you, Brownie and uh, Steve, for uh, the show, and I watch almost every day. Um, I was thinking, I was asking maybe about the free agency for the offensive line or maybe draft picks. I'd like to hear uh, your uh, comment on that. Also, uh, Mr. Brownie, have you ever heard of Brown, uh, Dollar Tree? You can get your uh, shaving supplies and that right there. All right, thank you. All right, appreciate all right. that. Th- thanks, Al. Appreciate the tip. Um, I was joking yesterday that all of those stores are the dollar twenty-five stores now because of inflation. That's but right. Apparently, you can get ra- shaving supplies there pretty well. I just, I don't no, know. I if, didn't know. Yeah, so I'll have to check that out. Uh, yeah, offensive line, we are on board completely. Um, I just know with the, and we'll talk to Mike Janitti about this more in the second hour of the show. But with the cost prohibitive nature of Buffalo's current cap situation, and knowing they're going to have to jump through some hoops to get under let alone create the space necessary to maybe sign some free agents. I don't know if they're going to have to have the wherewithal financially to go after some of the top people on the free agent market at the offensive line positions. Orlando Brown, for example, the left tackle for the Chiefs, is going to be a free agent. He's also going to make over $20 million a year. The Bills are not going to be competing in that financial bracket for that kind of talent, I wouldn't think, based on their cap situation. So. They're going to have to be a little bit more creative on the free agent market, and then I think they are going to have to invest draft capital in their offensive line primarily, and then if they can fill in some spots with some low-priced free agents, that's how they'll do it, much like they did last year. They'll do it again this year, and I think they will draft some offensive linemen, um, you know, up up with their couple of, first couple of picks. Um, maybe maybe both. Maybe like they did the defensive end spot, you know, yeah. where they did Boogie Basham and, and uh, Greg Rousseau the same year. That um, I wouldn't be surprised at that, but I am totally with Al and West Seneca. Al, yeah, they're, I think free agency is, is going to be uh, where they sign some veteran free agents like they did last year. Um, they're going to draft some of these guys, some new guys. Uh, I – yeah, I, I just – 
I agree with you. I think that's where they begin. Now, they're going to attack it on all fronts. They're going to sign a veteran-wide receiver. They're going to sign with some traits. They're going to sign these offensive linemen. They'll probably sign some defensive linemen and then the defensive tackle probably, um, all of that stuff. Um, but they will attack the roster on all fronts like they always do, and the players they bring in are going to compete. That's the way it is. But that's where I be, I'm with you. That's where I begin. You got to bring in protection and weapons for Josh. Job one. Let's go back to the phones and we go to Scott in Tonawanda next. What do you got for us, Scott? You're on One Bills Live. Well, thank you. <clears throat> I think the first uh, position that I would try to address is the defensive line. I mean, we were exposed quite a bit during the season with run games and not being able to put a lot of pressure on the quarterback. I don't know where they get those players, but the defensive line looks a little weak. And the second position, and you guys will probably laugh at me, is I still say we need a good running game, Uh, some running game that the other coaches can kind of fear a little bit. I don't think that our running game right now puts the fear in anybody. So thanks for taking my call, guys. Okay. Yeah, you're right. And, Scott, you're right. I get it. I'll say this. The Bills do have a different kind of running game than most teams because Josh is a part of it. And most people cringe at that thought. But the last three or four games, last month of the season, Josh hardly ran at all. Uh, And the running game was still a factor. Um, You know, Brownie brought it up that James Cook averaged 5.7 a carry this year. The problem is he only had 89 carries. Uh, He may be the lead dog next year, uh, the way it looks right now. So that may change. Uh, I am not in the camp fully of people who say our run game needs to be better. I think most people would say instead of better, they'd probably say it needs to be different. They run for enough yards the way it is now, but you just wish Josh's yards were given to James Cook and Devin Singletary instead of Josh, right? I mean, then you'd have two guys that rush for almost, if not a thousand yards, and then you'd be, it'd be better. The problem is that you know it's it's always going to be Josh is going to be a factor in that. That's why Josh is Josh, and you're not going to take that out of your game plan completely. Uh, certainly, you're going to use it in situations and situations alone where it works like in the you know where he scrambles for yardage or what does that power sweep or whatever you want to call it in short yardage and goal line but I'm I'm not a fan of revamping the run game or making it more prominent but I'm I could get on board with maybe having it look a little different uh, and having other guys carry the ball instead of Josh if they can do it and gain yards I'm not going to hand it off on I mean they do it a lot Hand it off on second and ten for four for two yards. I mean, I'm I'm not going to sign up for that. But if you can, if they can get it done, sure, sure. But they don't have to change too much about this offense um, in the running game because it's still like we were talking. We've talked about it. It's the number one in this division in foot in the AFC East. The Bills' running game is the best one in the division. Now you can say you don't like the way it looks because of Josh. But the simple fact of the matter is they have to def- the other everybody else has to defend it and it's it's a really good run game. If you want it to look different, I can get on board with that, but I'm not gonna sacrifice anything to get that done. I wanna keep it as good as it is now. Yeah. 
and you know, defensive line, I, I understand why you thought it was a little leaky, especially after the last game of the season, but that was without Daquan Jones, who was their best interior defender, in my estimation, all season long. He didn't play in the last game due to a calf injury. Jordan Phillips was playing with one arm with a rotator cuff injury in his shoulder that's going to need surgery. And those are the two best defensive and tackles your, they've got. Those are your two best run stuffers. And one is still under contract, Jones. Phillips is a free agent, but I think they could get him back on an affordable deal for a one-year contract. And I think he would want to come back, quite frankly, especially how this past season ended for him. So you get those two guys back, that's a good start. I think you're going to have to make a decision on Ed Oliver. He is under contract, but at $10.7 million, and knowing the cost constraints of the team right now, what do you do with him? Do you extend him? Do you trade him? What are the thoughts there? I think they're going to have to really take a long, hard look at the cost-benefit analysis of Ed Oliver, the player, and decide what they want to do long-term. Because either way, I think you have to get some cap relief from his salary figure, whether you extend him and reduce his cap figure this year to help yourself now, you know, and sign him to an extension, or you trade him to get him off your books and get some draft capital in return to acquire more cheap labor. Uh, those are decisions that they're going to have to weigh out, not just with Ed Oliver, probably with some other players on the roster too going forward. So it's going to be interesting to see what they do. I understand the pass rush wasn't up to snuff, and it changed dramatically once Von Miller was injured on Thanksgiving. They went from averaging 2.7 sacks a game with Von Miller to averaging two sacks a game without him. That's almost a sack less per game. Not to mention, you know, we probably I haven't diced up, you know, quarterback hits and how many of those dropped off right. affecting the quarterback, et cetera. But it was a problem. Now Von Miller will be back next year, hopefully right from the start of the season. Um, but with the again with the cap constraints that this team's going to be under. I think they have to leave the defensive side of the ball alone and hope for the best and really invest on the offensive side because they've lost ground to the talent that some of these other teams are putting out there on the field, namely the Bengals and the Chiefs primarily. Let's get back to the phones, and we go to Josh in Arcade next. What do you got for us, Josh? You're on One Bills Live. Hey, guys. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I'm on board with a lot of, uh, a lot of other people are saying I think the offensive line is probably the the top priority. Um, and looking ahead to the draft, there's two guys that are on the top of my list in uh, Osiris Torrance and uh, Roger. Jo- uh, I can't I remember his name. I think it's Jones out of Georgia. Georgia, yeah, the left and, tackle. Uh, What's his name? I think it's right. Roger Jones. Yeah. Roger Jones. Sorry. Um, but, um, yeah, Torrance is touted as the top interior offensive line, lineman. And, um, Broderick, yeah. No, playing in the SEC, being a good run blocker, being a good pass protector, that's essentially kind of fits the bill of what we need. And Broderick Jones is uh, versatile, even though he's listed as a tackle, can move into, uh, into guard. And for my second position, I would say – I'm torn between receiver and safety because I agree that we need more weapons for Josh. Um, just what we have probably doesn't uh, live up to the expectation. And safety, no, I'm assuming Jordan Poyer may not come back, or we may not um, we may not be able to bring him back. And I know Christian Benford has been uh, rumored to move to safety, but right. Uh, I think there might be might be a little need for a 
a safety valve, uh, so to speak, if uh, if they need it. So thanks a lot, guys. I enjoy your show. Thanks for taking my call. Yeah, thanks, thanks Josh. Josh. Good call. Yeah, it's all that stuff in there, and you can pick those offensive linemen off Georgia and, and you know, and like Broderick Jones and who I, I'm pretty sure you and I were talking about. Isn't he like nine feet tall and <laughs> – who are we talking about? Is Broderick oh, Jones? No. Left tackle? What is he? No, you're thinking of the Ohio State kid who's 6'8", 375. There you go. Not um, that Broderick Jones is a shrimp, but um, Broderick he, Jones played left tackle for Georgia. Good player. Um, sure. Uh, but here's the thing. that I don't uh, – the really, really great ones, like the plug-and-play kids that come out of – I say kids. The guys that come out of college that you can plug into – a spot like left tackle in the National Football League and forget about them for 15 years, you got to be – you can't pick 27th in the first round and do that. Right. Broderick Jones, though, is pro- projected to be a bottom half of the first-round player. So there's a chance that he could be in the vicinity of the Bills. And remember, we've got a lot of quarterback-needy teams up at the top of the draft. So anytime somebody's taking a quarterback, that's pushing all the other position groups down to the Bills, yeah. and you got to rely on that. 27 is a low place to be. But but there's not that many wide receivers this year either that are considered right. top flight. There so are that's a lot gonna, of tight ends. That moves everybody up the, up the scale. Yeah. So, I, yeah, it, if, he's there at tw- if one of these guys is there at 27, absolutely, I'm all about it. It is great because if you get a guy, an offensive lineman that high – I would think that that is the one spot where a player in this culture, and we talk about it all the time, how these rookies, they don't get plugged in in, the, in Buffalo. they got to earn every rep and then earn their spot and then keep their spot. And then if they want to move up like from a guard to a tie or whatever, they got to earn that too. And somebody else has got to unearn it. But – as an offensive lineman, they get on the field faster because there's five spots they can move to. And young offensive linemen in this team seem to get on the field long faster than young wide receivers, young running backs, all of that stuff get on, and corners and all that stuff. That They get on the field faster. Um, yeah, especially a kid picked at 27 as an offensive lineman. I could see that guy getting plugged in pretty quick. Yeah. And Broderick Jones from Georgia, he's played some right tackle and then left tackle this past year. So there is some versatility there as well. And he's not alone. There's a lot of other linemen in this draft uh, that hopefully the Bills will have an opportunity to pick from. We take a break here, but more of your phone calls when we return. So if you're holding at 803-0550, we'll get to you when we come back here on One Bills Live. Presented by Kaleida Health, it's Buffalo Bills Radio. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker asking you to give us your top two priorities for the Bills roster this offseason. We go back to the phones and to Cynthia in Amherst. What do you got for us, Cynthia? Yes, I wanted to find out, is there still such a position as a fullback? And I just recently looked at the Franco Harris story. I mean, are there any kids like him coming out of college? I think that would be a big help, and it would help Josh fourth and one. Give it to somebody, you know, a big fullback. Yeah, I that hear would you. be my 
I hear you, Cynthia. In fact, one of the most in, intriguing guys in the National Football League to me is the, and I'm going to blank on his name, is the fullback for the Baltimore Ravens. He's a 305-pound defensive lineman who plays fullback for them. Used, Alan Ricard. Ricard. Alan Ricard. He used to play defensive okay. line. They transferred him and moved him from that side of the ball over to the offensive side of the ball, and he plays fullback. Um, okay, okay. I'm, I, I, I kind of get where you're coming from. Yeah, and with the cap issue, coming out of college, you might be able to find somebody like that without robbing the bank. You're right, Cynthia. In fact, a guy like that, you I mean, you don't even have to draft him. There's, you can find him standing at a bus stop, well, basically. Plus, you also have Reggie Gilliam on the roster already. Right, and but I'm talking, yeah, and I I get what you're saying there too. Uh, Reggie Gilliam is has his own skill set, and the Bills use him as a fullback. He's listed as a fullback. I'm with you. I'm I'm into hyperbole, and I want a fullback that looks like a monster. I, I want like a six six, three hundred and fifty pound guy who can run, who they can't stop. Um, if you got to use a roster spot for somebody like that, get somebody who is an enormous problem. Um, I'm exaggerating to make a point. The guy's got to be an athlete and he's got to do all this other stuff, but there are guys like that out there. Uh, teams shy away from it because it's a little bit of a specialized spot. It takes a spot away from a wide receiver or a tight end or a you know, number one running back. I think there's room for guys like that on a roster, and I would look for them and find somebody like that guy. Ricard is a, is a player, and I, I think even now he's underused over there. Um, Derrick Henry is Derrick Henry because he can run really fast. Um, but you could find somebody as tall as and maybe heavier than Derrick Henry who can do some things better than Derrick Henry, maybe catch the football, maybe run routes. I don't know. Um, I know I'm the, sorry, it's Patrick Ricard. Pa- yeah, Alan okay. Ricard was also a fullback in the league. He doesn't play anymore. But the – the point is, yes, you can find specialized athletes. Uh, I remember back, and I'll give you an example. Back in the day, um, the University of Kansas basketball team had a guy, and the Kansas City Chiefs went over and they wanted to try him out because he was seven feet tall and a really good athlete, and they wanted to use him in the red zone as a tight end. Uh, just put him in the back of the end zone, throw the football above the crossbar, and he'd jump up and catch it. The problem was the guy was seven feet tall. His name was Wilt Chamberlain, and he ended up having a really good career in another sport. <laughs> so, but specialized athletes like the one you're talking about, it you know, fullback is one of those spots where you could maybe find a guy like that. But you'd have to search long, far, long and hard to find a guy like that who's yeah. good enough to be an NFL player and who's versatile enough and an athlete to offer you things on special teams. Um, you know, so you could play other spots, but I, I'm with you. And a lot of people have said on our Twitter, Twitter, uh, sheet, tweet sheet and all that about find a big, big power back. So Josh doesn't have to be the short yardage back. I'll listen to it. If you can find the guy. Yeah. But I almost wonder if it's too specialized to justify a roster. It spot is. And that's the problem. Two or three times a game. Reggie Gilliam offers you far more than that. And he can play on special teams. So right. Gilliam's your guy for the foreseeable future. He just signed a contract extension last year. Yeah. And you can say, well, why doesn't Reggie Gilliam get those carries, get some carries. And one of the Josh problems is better is, at it. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> one of the problems is you become predictable when you have a specialized athlete like that. Yep. You tip oh, off fullbacks one. on the field. 
Here it comes. Exactly. Uh, fullback's on the field or everybody's off and the fullback is on. You have to be able to do a lot of different things. Otherwise, if he can only do a dive play, take the hand off and go straight up into the line, that's all he's ever going to be able to do. You become predictable. And when you're predictable, you, you, you can't win. Yeah. And so he's also got to be able to pass protect. So if they play fake it to him, whatever or catch the ball so they can screen pass it to him when he comes up to pass protect and they think, okay, they're going to throw it this time and he sneaks out for an outlet. Yeah. He's got to be able to do a lot of things other than just what we're talking about. And when you start talking like that, then you realize how difficult those guys are to find. Let's squeeze in Bob in South Carolina here. Bob, what do you have for us? You're on One Bills Live. Oh, hey, guys. Thanks for taking the call. Uh, I don't mean to be a broken record, but offensive line for sure. I love the heck out of Deion Dawkins, but he did not have a great year this year. Roger Saffold did not have a great year this year, so I think they've got to find somebody to put some competition in that offensive line. Secondly, I would go safety, mainly because Mike is not getting any younger. Poyer may be gone. Who knows if Benford's going to be any good there, and who knows if DeMar's ever coming back. Right. The other thing, the other thing I'd like to add is a running back in the free agency, like a Tony Pollard, like a Jones from the Packers, who can create a second and two. So they take some of that pressure off of Josh. I don't know if they can afford that, yep. you know, in terms of those players and free agency, but we, we've got to find ways to put ourselves in a, be a better second down situation consistently where teams are going to, are going to really respect the fact that we've got a strong running back who can gain those yards consistently. And a Pollard, he, he, Dallas people have been crying for years for that guy to, to get on the field more. I know he got hurt here at the end of the year, but he'll be, he'll be fine by the time training camp comes around and Jones is a stud in Green Bay. So Yeah, yeah I'll say this, Bob. You're right. You might have answered your same question twice. I mean, if, if you upgrade the offensive line across the board or whatever – you may fix the second and two before you ever get to a running back in free agency. I think James Cook can be Tony Pollard in a couple of years. I really do. I think he's that talented, and Pollard's going to be too much money on the open market. He's going to be getting yeah. double-digit millions per year, even though he is a running back. He's only 25. He's going to get giant money on the free agent market because he's one of the two best running backs in free agency, and the only guy ahead of him is Saquon Barkley, in my estimation. So – you're not going to be able to afford him, unfortunately, but running backs aren't hard to find. And the Bills are going to need a third back. They can get him an undrafted free, undrafted rookie free agent. Could be your third running back. Bruce. They just had a guy here last year, Raheem Blackshear, who people were campaigning to make the roster last year. He goes down to Carolina, who picks him up on their 53-man roster, and he's productive down there. You can find a guy like that uh, to, to round out your running back core. And as far as safety, your point is well taken because you laid it out yeah. perfectly. Jordan Poyer is probably not back because he would cost too much money, and he's 32 years old. Micah Hyde in the last year of his contract. DeMar Hamlin's future completely up in the air. And is Christian Benford going to make it at safety or not? We don't know. It's a big if. You probably do have to get another guy in the pipeline. we got to take a break here because when we come back from SpotTrack.com, your salary cap guru, Mike Janitti, joining us next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio.
One Pills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. All right, hour number two on a Wednesday. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you, and pleased to be joined now by founder and managing editor of SpotTrack.com. It is one Mike Giannitti joining us on the line here. Mike, good to have you. It's uh, off-season time, time for the NFL clubs to balance the books, and the Bills have some work to do in order to do that. We got some hints about that from Brandon Bean himself in his season wrap-up press conference, but maybe first map out how tall a task might this be in light of the contracts they have on the books and now the holes they have on the roster with 22 unrestricted free agents. Yeah, right. There's a, there's a lot of elements to factor in here. Look at the, any team in contention is going to have financial issues starting off the off season. It's just sort of the way this works right now. So, you know, to be, you know, minus 20 or close around to that point with a 224 league salary cap right now, it's not the most daunting task we've seen. We've seen teams in the hundreds at this stage of the game. So, uh, like a couple of sizable restructures, especially to your quarterback, and you're right back at cap neutral here. Um, so I'm I'm not overly concerned with where the Bills stand right now, but you said it at the end there. There's a, there's a lot of mouths to feed hitting the open market on March 15th that, uh, you know, three or four are, are going to gain sizable contracts somewhere, whether it's Buffalo or somewhere else. So uh, it's it's less about getting yourselves healthy right now and more about how do you retain and or you know, replace some of these models that have to hit the open market. And see if you can help us remember, we've been having this conversation. How far off are the bills from where they were exactly in this spot a year ago? It doesn't seem like it was that far much different than last year. Yeah, you got it right. They were really aggressive two off seasons ago and extending four or five of their own players. And generally the second year of those extensions is where the cap uh, bubbles up. So they took four or five restructures last off season uh, I know that's not that's not something Brandon Bean loves to do uh, on a regular basis, and that's just good business, to be honest. He's going to have to do it again with a couple more this year, and uh, it's not going to be you, you know half the roster getting restructured like we see the Saints and Rams and Eagles do on an annual basis. But uh, you got to take your medicine just to stay in contention here, and uh, he'll he'll do what he has to do to get them ready here. So on your SpotTrack.com site, I use the cap management tool for the Bills, and I was pretty liberal in my restructuring. Uh, to your point, I restructured Josh, Diggs, Taron Johnson, Tredavious White, Matt Milano, Ryan Bates, and Saran Neal. I got super aggressive. That saved $40 million and put yeah. Buffalo almost $19 million under. But that's probably not enough cap space for all that they need to do this offseason. How extensive are they going to have to be? Or is it going to have to be a combination of maybe three or four restructures and then some outright roster cuts? Yeah, I, I'd go with the latter right now, Chris. Uh, there's definitely a big old uh, roster bonus for Von Miller that's going to get restructured as well, which saves over $10 million this year. So just Josh and Von Miller alone opens up almost 30 on by themselves. Okay. Uh, and, and some of the names you mentioned will factor in there as well. But th- there's going to be some pain. Uh, you know, every team goes through it. I think there's a couple of starters here that might fall off this roster. You know, I hate to say it, but I think Mitch Morris is in this conversation with his uh, his injury history, his cap situation. He can save over $6 million if they if he falls off the roster. I think a player like Tim Settle is in this conversation right now just because of the uh, the savings he can offer in a surplus situation. But, uh, you know, nothing, I think, too crazy right now. I don't think we're going to go too buck wild with roster bubbles on this roster just because for 75% of the season, this was the best roster in football. And where do you think that for, where where does it start, and how what's the timetable for these deals starting to get done? I mean, free agency, 
still it's a little bit on the horizon, you know, but when do these start and how soon, you know, what's the time frame? Well, they, they can start immediately. Obviously, the Bills are in full off-season mode right now. Uh, the actual free agency doesn't start till March 15th. The franchise tag window opens uh, February 21st. There's, there's at least a conversation to be had there with, with maybe a transition tag for Tremaine Edmonds. Um, so there's something to talk about in that regard. But the teams are going to start restructuring players uh, at will really, you know, right now going forward. It's that time of year for a lot of the teams in the offseason. You mentioned Edmonds, Mike, and he plays a position that is not seen by too many organizations as a quote-unquote premium position, like pass rusher, quarterback, wide receiver, left tackle, corner. You have his market value at $11 million, if I'm not mistaken, on your site. Why do you believe his market value is half of what Roquan Smith got from Baltimore at $20 million per year, or even other linebackers like Shaq Leonard in Indy or Fred Warner in San Fran who are making nineteen seven and nineteen a year? Well, there's two conversations, Chris. Number one, that $11 million is the mathematical value, right? That's just what our algorithm says. Okay. Um, the, the, the Mike Gennetti value for Tremaine Edmonds is probably closer to $16, 17000000 million just because there are, there are half a dozen players now that live up there. And quite frankly, he's gotten better every year with culminating yeah. in his best season in 2022. Um, so we do a three-year mathematical valuation of these players. And, and for a year and a half there, uh, he really struggled in a lot of the areas that we cover from a, from an algorithm standpoint. Uh, I don't think he's a top-of-the-market player. I, I think he's he, he's projecting in that direction. There's no question about it. But for this roster, I, I, can can Brandon Bean go north of 15 million per year on this player? Probably not. It's as you mentioned, it's a it's a non-dominant financial position right now across the league. Even though there are six players in the 16 million plus range, uh, I think Buffalo probably has bigger fish to fry. Uh, but he is absolutely of value, and they're going to at least attempt a multi-year extension. There's no question about it. What about the rest of the roster with Tremaine Edmonds and you know Jordan Poyer? Seems at his uh, at his point this point of his career, it seems a foregone conclusion that he may not be back. What other players like like an Ed Oliver going into the last year of his career making you know contract last year of his contract? Uh, give us your your thoughts about those two players, Poyer and Ed. Sure, I'll start with Poyer. Uh, obviously, the value there is insurmountable. Uh, whether whether he missed time or was on the field, you could just you could just smell it in the air. He's probably an eleven, twelve million dollar player right now, even at his age. I, I think there's a team out there, or maybe three, that would value him at that kind of price. The safety market's almost twenty million itself right now, so uh, that's a booming market on on its head. Uh, Buffalo's probably not going that route. I, I think we're in a situation where both Poyer right now and hide next year, fall off this roster. Uh, so it's a, it's probably the biggest priority for this Bills team right now, this offseason, both through free agency and through the draft. And uh, it's a growing market. So Poyer itself probably falls off if he gets over $10 million a year somewhere else. And then uh, Ed Oliver, that's a sticky situation. That's a player that they wanted to see a lot more from last year. He was probably going to be their top extension candidate right now this offseason. And I, I just don't see it that way. The fifth-year option is about $10.5 right now. He probably plays that out, and then we're back here next year talking about an extension for him. Speaking of Ed, you know, at 10.7, do you think he's a viable trade commodity, commodity at all playing on a last-year, fifth-year option? You know, we don't see it too much, Chris. We don't see yeah. a lot of teams move off on this fifth year. Uh, what we have started to see is – teams restructure that fifth year option and turn it into a five-year contract essentially with four void years it's possible brandon bean goes that route and then he can simply just use those void years into the uh, into the multi-year extension at some point uh 
I don't, I, like I said, it's a sticky situation right now because he's a player you want to have for three, four more years. I just don't know that he's put the production up there. So trade candidate, maybe restructure candidate, maybe even more likely, but maybe the most likely scenario is that he just plays out that 10, seven and we see where we are. Hmm. And as we get to, you know, the, start a free agency and the transit is there any players that are going to be transitioned or what can maybe players around the league are primary targets for transition or franchise tags yeah the Bengals are, are are the place to start i think that jesse bates situation is interesting that's a safety that has has, has shown a ton of value for that roster over the past couple of seasons he played on the franchise tag last year obviously the you know the breadwinner with this tag situation is lamar jackson who's going to get the exclusive franchise tag in Baltimore, which right now costs over $45 million. Um, you know, Dallas's situation is unique. They've got Tony Pollard and Dalton Schultz, both weapons. I think they'd like to keep Pollard probably gets that tag right now with his injury situation. I think the one year tender makes a lot of sense. And uh, Josh Jacobs probably gets the same kind of treatment in, in Las Vegas for the a $10 million running back for one year. And then the Giants probably are the uh, the second most interesting tag situation because of quarterback and running back, right? Daniel Jones at about $32 million could get tagged or Saquon with that $10 million running back franchise tag. So they, I think they want to keep both those players. One of them likely gets a tag to start this offseason. Yeah. Wide receiver two figures to be a priority this offseason for the Bills. They're in win-now mode, as you know. But knowing how much receiver salaries are on the open market – is that a scenario where they try to get a proven commodity via trade or are they just going to rely on the draft? I, I would be inclined to say draft and trade. I'm with you. Let's do it all. You know, the stuff on dig situation was so successful and it's, and to be frank, and, and I haven't done my homework, you know, super well yet on this draft stuff, but it doesn't sound like it's the greatest yeah. wide receiver draft, but you know what that sounds like to me? It sounds like there's not a lot of first rounders. So there may be, a really good, healthy set of second and third round picks wide receiver rise that you could snag yeah. that could slot into that number two, number three position for us immediately. Um, I, I do think there's going to be some names out there via trade. And the big one that I'm starting to hear more and more, and especially now with today's news, is Mike Evans. And Mike Evans is not a wide receiver two, but he's a wide receiver one A. And he's on an expiring contract. And Tampa Bay needs to shed cap left and right. They are in the second worst situation from a cap standpoint right now. Uh, that's a name, that's a name I think could get rejuvenated on this trade market. Certainly Brandon cooks is going to be back on this trade market. And there's a couple other names, maybe Robert Woods, our old friend uh, in Tennessee has a chance to fall off that roster, but uh, you know, it won't be a, a frivolous wide receiver market from free agency or the trade standpoint. But uh, I think any channel possible right now has to make sense. Yeah. For I mean, I was, right. I was the only reason I was thinking trade is because you can control the cost a little bit better via trade than you can in free agency where you're almost certainly going to overpay. You have to give up something to get that cost control, but with with where the bills are, I would tend to think that's going to be something that Bean's going to have to explore. And, and that's why I, I think they were rumored to be in on a player like Christian McCaffrey. Christian McCaffrey has a trade trade asset as a $12 million running back, not a $16 million running back, right? Because the, the Carolina Panthers paid out the majority of his, yeah. his contract up front. So that's – that's the benefit you get when you get a player in the second or third year of their contract is is most of the chunk cash has already been paid out, yeah. So you're talking about a guy like, say, like a Mike Evans from Tampa Bay. He's got a $13 million cap hit. Um, and what's what about the restructure bonus, which was, you know, 9.1? How does all that work, and what would his cap hit be to the Bills? If the Bills traded at, you know, a two for him or whatever, um, yeah. what's that look like? 
cap wise. Yeah, so only the 13 plus the roster bonus. So four, one year, 14.5 million comes to Buffalo or comes to the traded team. The rest would stay with Tampa Bay. And, uh, and then you take that 14 and a half million, either turn it into a brand new contract or you restructure it for this year and make it a friendly one year deal with some void years. So uh, it's a, it's a pretty friendly situation for a player that I think just wants to reset his market. And I think a chain of scenery, change of scenery might really benefit him as well. I know in your analysis of the bills on spottrack.com, you were targeting tar- Tyler Bass for a contract extension. How much cap space do you think that could help create if you did that? Minimal. It might be a situation where you stay cap neutral on that. You just want to lock him in for three, yeah. four more years. We're seeing, we're seeing some pretty aggressive kicker contracts lately. When you've got a good one, Teams are really locking in players four or five years at almost, you know, the, the threshold is now six million for Justin Tucker. So, uh, you know, you're going to live in the four and a half, five million dollar range for a, for an above average kicker in this league right now. But it's an expiring contract. He got a little boost with this proven performance bonus. So uh, you could stand to shed maybe half a million dollars right now in cap space. But uh, I just think it's about keeping that player long term here. Yeah. Yeah. Is there are there any trends to contracts that are new? That's a great question. Uh, I think we're going to start seeing more and more teams, Steve, really start to use this cap bubble to their advantage. Uh, this was an NBA thing a couple of years back where the, where the cap boosted and the teams that were ready for it and the teams that were that, that actually took advantage of it from a timing perspective said, all right, not, let's not just buy players right now because of what because of this cap situation. Let's front load them. And let's bring them in and let's make sure that the majority of the cash is pushed into the first two, three seasons of these big deals because, A, the player is going to be happy. The agent is going to be really happy. And, and then in year three and year four, we can have some real value with this. And for a team like Buffalo who's looking to keep this window open as long as possible with Josh Allen, like four more seasons of guaranteed money on Josh Allen's contract, you know, it's it's less about going year to year. If you've got a player that you know can be here for three, four years, let's bring him in on a multi-year contract. And instead of having all this fluff built into the contracts that, you know, the 80s and the 90s had, Let's be really aggressive with front-loaded deals. The 49ers did this to, to their advantage a couple of years back. Uh, the Pittsburgh Steelers have always done this to their advantage. I'd love to see a team like Buffalo start to do that and really start to pump more money into the first couple of seasons. And then if they have to do some restructures, obviously it, Brandon Bean will do so. Is that what they did with Von Miller's contracts, like a six-year deal, um, yeah. but after three years it changes drastically? Yeah. And in that case, right, it's about, you know, at one point in time, does, does he just fall off the cliff? And that's just a, a fact of life at his age. So you had to kind of rush that in. But but to be honest, right, they're competing with six other teams, four of which were probably top contenders like Buffalo. So structure can actually win you out a contract in certain cases. And I think with this cap jump, not that the Bills are sitting here with 60 million to work with. But, you know, the one or two players that they address this offseason, you know, safety, weapon, whatever we talk about here, that's an advantage some of these teams can make to say, look, we're going to push a first-year roster bonus where other teams are going to say, let's just spread out a signing bonus and then live with it from here out. Okay. So you have a team like Cincinnati, you know, looking at Mm. the AFC top tier of teams. Cincinnati's got about $44 in cap space. How much is Joe Burrow going to gobble up of that? I mean, you could structure it any way you want, I suppose, Mike. But realistically, Mm. how much of that does Joe Burrow gobble up and how – freewheeling will they be able to be if we're trying to account for the borough extension? Yeah, this is new territory for Cincy. Not that they haven't handed out big contracts before, right? They took care of Dalton and made him one of the higher average paid quarterbacks in football back in the day. And they've done that with a couple of defensive players. 
but that's a team that loves to go year by year with their guarantees. It's called rolling guarantees. That's just their, that's how they operate and do business. Well, that's, that's obviously not going to fly with Joe Burrow's situation. He's going to have to have, uh, you know, upwards of $200 million in practical guarantees, and that's going to have to all be paid out over the next four seasons. So, uh, you know, you want to call it a 50 million per year contract. You want to talk about 200 million guaranteed. Those are all the, the talking points with the Joe Burrows, the Jalen Hurts, the Justin Herberts, the Lamar Jacksons of the world right now. Um, and, and Cincinnati is in one of those situations. Yes, they have to pay T Higgins and Jamar Chase over the next couple of off seasons, but they do have a lot of real good value on the offensive line, on that defensive line. I think they're, a lot of their contracts are about fair market value. You know, you know, there's not a lot of overpay there. So you can probably take advantage of that with Joe Burrow's contract and push some of this cash into the next couple of years and then structure it more like a baseball contract and say, look, we're going to keep you kind of around the $25 million mark here for a couple of seasons. And then we'll go into the forties and maybe even into the fifties down the road, something Patrick Mahomes did with Kansas city. And we've seen how successful that's been. All right. So the cap got set this week or just yesterday at 24.8 million. It's up from 208.2 million, 0.2 million. And of course in 21 is the first year in history where the cap went down from 198.2 to 182.5 because of the pandemic. Where's it going to go next? Yeah, I think we're on a pretty good path here. The TV money hasn't really even really kicked in yet. We've seen all these ratings uh, announcements of just how good the playoffs have been. Uh, you know, all the merchandise and everything's way up. So the, the league is as healthy as it's ever been. The only reason it's not going to go up 25, 30 million over the next couple of seasons and in any one season is because they still got to pay back some of that COVID stuff. Right. There's uh there's payments to the NFLPA. There's some loans that were taken out just for safety precautions um, that have to get paid back. And then that'll drop some of the overall revenue profits. But I, I expect a, an 8% jump again next year, guys. I think we're going to push close to 240 next year. Uh, and then after 2024, when things should be back to neutral from those loan payments, who knows if, if the ratings and the revenue stays like this, you know, we're going to be approaching the two sixties and the two seventies before we know it. I got to come back, Mike, to burrow for one more second here. Cause you were talking like 25 million a year to try to cost yeah. control him. Kind of like the chiefs did with Mahomes. How realistic do you think that is when you have a guy like Kyler Murray who hasn't won a playoff game is getting <laughs> 46.1 average annual value is I can't see Burroughs people stomaching that. That that makes the agent look bad, and that's just as important as making the, the quarterback happy. I mean, I guess, you know, the guy works for Burrow ultimately, and maybe he is a team guy and does that. But, man, I got a hard time seeing that flying when a guy who hasn't won a playoff game in Arizona is making 46 a year. Yeah, there are certain contracts in, in all of these sports that we follow that are called poison contracts, right? And certainly the, the Deshaun Watson one right now is, is a poison contract for a lot of these players looking out there for what they want next. And that Kyler contract is maybe even worse because there's not really a track record with him from a production standpoint to, to back up what he got. It's not even the 46, 48 million a year, guys. It's, it's, that's a five-year guarantee. I mean, he's going to get $190 million out of that contract from somebody at some point in time. It's, it's an extremely stable contract for Kyler Murray. Um, and I'm, I'm, I'm not saying Joe Burrow's not going to get there and with this contract. He, he will. It'll have all the structure and the stability that he wants. He's going to get the 200 million plus guaranteed to surpass a player like Kyler Murray. Uh, all I'm saying is the structure of the cash flow, I think, can really help the ownership out here because it's not really about the cap in this regard, right? They can, they can restructure Joe Burrow every year for the next six years if they have to, to make sure the roster stays intact. Um, and some owners will do that, or some GMs will do that. 
but cash flow is a big part of this. Yeah. So the second that Joe Burrow signs, whatever's fully guaranteed at signing has to go in escrow. I mean, that that old adage still exists. So, you know, the ownership in Cincinnati we're gonna are gonna have to be willing to throw hundreds of millions of dollars in, in, in into an account that they never get back. It's gonna go to him eventually, but they can't use it at this point. But in Mahomes' situation, a $450 million contract only had $63 million guaranteed at signing on the books because of the way the cash flow was structured. And then there's two-year vesting guarantees from there, that point on. So he's going to get all his cash, but he actually helped ownership and the GM out quite a bit with the way those first three years were structured. Uh, I think it's a really good plan for a situation like Burrow and Cincinnati that have to give you know Jamar Chase $100 million plus, probably have to give T. Higgins $80 to $100 million over the next 18 months as well. Man. Yeah. Be interesting to see how that plays out. I'm really kind of intrigued to see how they do that because I'm hoping they do it the traditional way so they can't spend money on the other guys <laughs> and keep that team together selfishly. <laughs> I'm just saying. How much – and let me ask you this. Mike, it makes a lot of sense uh, because the players are going to get no matter what, and they're only – they're in their mid-20s, and certainly there's some impatience to get nine digits into their bank account, but – Still, they got to be. Some of these players are got to be really willing to say, "Yeah, okay, let's do that." I'll wait yeah. an extra four years before I get and you know sixty million into my account. And I'll just take the forty million up. For, you know what I mean? So the that's players exactly right. they get they got to get zero pushback from the players. And and that's the thing. And and Burrow just seems like that dude. And he's kind of talked. He's kind of spoken out a lot about stuff like this, right? Team first, that kind of. Uh, and I'm certainly not going to put words in his mouth, but he understands what's going on here. You, you know, he's a smart enough uh, human being. He probably dealt with a lot of this at LSU. Let's be perfectly honest, right? Yeah. There were a lot of mouths to feed. There it was a huge roster, a ton of superstars and, and, uh, and everybody had to get a piece of the pie. So if he wants to keep that kind of situation going in Cincinnati with superstars around him, this is one of the ways he can do that. He still gets his money at the end of the game. But for the you know for the for the heart of this contention window in Cincinnati, which you know that's that's a rare thing, he might have to play a little ball over the next couple of yeah. seasons. Mike, thanks as always for the insight uh, and the expertise. We appreciate it. We'll uh, catch up with you later this off season. My pleasure, guys. Thanks. All right, that's Mike Janitti, founder and managing editor of SpotTrack.com. It's a great resource if you want to kind of juggle the numbers, move them around, and he's got that cap management tool so you can mess around on your own. You can pull up the Bills roster and say, oh, yeah, let me uh, let me restructure this guy. How much do we save there? Bang. Yeah. Let's restructure this guy. How much do we? I was playing around with it today. Yeah. And it really kind of effectively paints the picture for you in terms of what Brandon Bean is quite and literally right. up against. They can, uh, with Vaughn and Josh. You can do a lot. You can do a lot with those to get down. They could, you know, they could get – close to, if not under the cap, the way it stands now, just those two guys. Obviously, they want to get as far under as they can possibly get, but, yeah, they're going to have to They'll have to get some people to play ball. And, and the way he said, you know, there's some of these guys that, are, you know, are near and dear to us that um, probably are not going to be around. Yeah, Poyer among them. And yeah, right. the more and more we're talking about it today, the more and more I'm realizing safety is a real need position here yeah, going forward, have... especially knowing Hyde – at age 32, we'll be entering the last year of his contract in 2023. You've got to get somebody in the pipeline there. I mean, yeah, you're going to transition Benford. That's great. But you got to get somebody here in the pipeline to hold the fort down after DeMar, 2023. It's like one of those you got to think a year ahead type situations. Think about it. you got DeMar, yeah. probably not, maybe not, unquestion, unquestionably Com Completely a question up mark. in the air. Right. Poyer and Hyde. Uh, who's Hyde's, left? Hyde's back. 
but well, for one temporarily, year, Jaquan Johnson is in there. He's a free agent. He's not. <laughs> so they got zero. They got yeah. They got Christian Benford, and Benford's a hard maybe. Like nice right. young player, but how's he in transition to playing in the middle of the field? We don't know. So yeah, it's it's definitely a need position, and I just don't know that you that you pay twelve million to get Poyer back here for a year or maybe two. I, maybe you do, but it just I don't know. I don't know if you can afford to do now, that. Yeah, because certainly it's like it's like safeties become the offensive line with Poyer with uh, Incognito and Wood. It's like you're running into that situation right, again, where you walk into a season thinking you're set, and all of a sudden you're not set. Yeah. Uh, the thing about it too is what Mike Gennetti said, and you can't feel bad for Jordan about this, his value is at an all-time high. Yeah. There are teams out there standing in line for Jordan Poyer, even at his age. Which is only going to drive his price up all the more, which right. is going to make it harder to bring him back. So yeah, really, so I think it's going to be tough. It would. The only way Jordan Poyer comes back is if he's sitting there telling his agency, I'm not leaving. Yeah. And, I, and he's not going to do that. He's, I, I don't think. I wouldn't if I was him. And I, you know, I've lived. He here. already did right. <laughs> I've been in town 35 years, and I wouldn't tell my. He already that. did right by the team. Exactly. With what he did this year, because exactly. he wanted more money this year. The Bills couldn't do it, and he still strapped it up and played and, injured and played very all well. Year. So yeah, I, he's not going to do that, and I wouldn't expect him to. And and bless his heart, I hope the guy becomes an NFL owner someday. He gets so rich. So, yeah. you know that good for him break time for us here when we come back more of your phone calls on what you deem to be the top two priorities for this roster in the offseason we're back in a moment here on one bills live All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. We're asking you today what you deem to be the top two roster priorities for the team this offseason. We go back to the phones where we have some open lines for you at 803-0550, and we lead off this segment with Judy in Buffalo. What do you got for us, Judy? Um, I'm curious about linemen um, Becker and Doyle. What is their status, and do they figure into the future plans of the Bills or not? Yeah, a uh, valid question, Judy. I would say this. Uh, Butker, to my knowledge, is a free agent, so he is no longer under contract. Came off the Achilles injury, appeared in a couple of games for Buffalo, but at the end of the season, he was inactive the last three games. So they did not even consider him as one of their top eight linemen to dress on game day. Uh, I guess if you could get him back at an affordable price, he could be a depth player for you going forward. Tommy Doyle is under contract. He's still on his rookie deal. He'll be entering year three. He missed this season with a torn ACL, suffered in week three. So the hope is he would be back in time from that for training camp. We actually saw him here this past week. He's still doing rehab here in Buffalo. Um, So credit to him for that. But I think he's also, in the grand scheme of things, a depth player as well. Uh, Certainly. they've They've got to invest draft capital in their offensive line and maybe free agent dollars as well. Doyle's a different, an interesting question because he was, he's one of those big, he's one of those six, eight guys that with long arms and he's, he's got a lot of traits, uh, but he has not been able to get on the field in a, in an offense and with an, an atmosphere and training camp for two years where he was given every opportunity to compete. So he was on the team, but not good enough to get on the field. Now, a lot of guys 
flourish after they've been around for a minute, and then that third year they come back and they start because the first year you're just trying to keep your head above water, learn what to do, where to go, how to be, you know, practice. Then right. the season's over, and it's like then you go through and you watch them draft guys, and you think, well, that was me just 12 months ago. And I, oh, I get it. And they gotta, it takes them a while to get their off-season straightened away. What am I going to do? Am I going to be a pro athlete, or am I going to live in my mom and dad's basement and work at home like I did in college? Am I going to be my own guy? Am I, you know, where am I going to do this? Yeah. Where's the best way to do it? So then they do that for the second year. They go through their second year, and they say, okay, by the third year, they're like, all right, here's how this is going to go, right? So Tommy Doyle would be getting into that off-season right now, except that he blew his ACL. So now he's got that to deal with. But he should be in a better place to do it. So if he can get 100% healthy, this should be a year where Tommy Doyle comes in and says, all right, I got this. But the knee throws a big question mark on all of that. Yeah, especially for a player of his height and length. Um, that's a lot of weight on a restructured, you know, a yeah. surgically repaired knee. So hopefully he's on the right path. He did it, he did it what, week three? That's the third week in September. We go nine months out from that. You're talking – um, June is nine months, give or take. Um, it'll be close. It'll be close for it'll the be, start of training camp. Yeah, and it'll be eleven months from the start of training camp, just about till week one of the season. To week one of the season, and yeah, that's it's nip and tuck. I mean, then he's going to be how's he feel now? How's, yeah, how's he performing? He might be, you know, a guy that you can say, okay, if he. If he so desires, maybe they make him a not just a swing tackle, but also a, a guard if he can move down three feet because there's you don't have to move as much. And you know it's all about it's Tommy. Hard, hard to win leverage down there at six yes. eight though. Right, you'd have to get knee bend, which is by the way you know <laughs> an issue. Harder for taller. So guys. there you go. Um, but yeah, he's in the mix. They're going to watch him as he comes back. But I'll say this: they're expectations for Tommy Doyle will be reflected on where they draft and where they sign free agents and what they see from him and his rehab. Yeah. And rest assured, they'll be bringing in plenty of competition. So that's kind of how things stand on the offensive line now. Hopefully that answers your question, Judy. Um, I mean, we know Doyle will be here come training camp. The question is, to Steve's point, does he look good enough to stay here and be one of the top nine guys to be on the 53-man roster? That's, that's the question. Um, yeah, I mean, if they get into the season and the, and the new league year starts and somebody wants to trade or something, you could see, you know, somebody had a file on Tommy Doyle and thought he was great, and they, they, know, they exchange physicals and all of that, and they trade him for a fifth round or a seventh round or whatever. Right. May, but no, that's not going to happen. And I and I was correct. Ike Butker is an unrestricted free agent. They could get him back here on a one-year deal, pretty affordable, presumably. But again, I think it would be as a depth player, you know, at the guard slash center position. Now, if Mitch Morris becomes a cap casualty, maybe Ike Butker becomes more attractive as a depth player because I think if if they make that decision and Mitch Morse is a cap casualty to save them $6 million on the cap, as Mike Giannitti suggested, I think Ryan Bates becomes your starting center. And then Ike Butker, maybe he competes for a guard spot, and he's your backup center because we've seen that from him already. And, so and that might make him more attractive because he's a far more affordable option than Mitch Morse. And remember, they, Bates came back after the 
Bears made a run at him this last offseason. Right, they signed him to an offer sheet the Bills matched to keep him. And that's important because he's tied up for a while. Well, he's cost control, yes. Cost control and... If he turns into your starting center, it's a huge – I mean, you got to think, okay, they like like him at center, but also huge savings Yes, over Mitch. And that so, has to unfortunately be a consideration, even as much as they love Mitch. I mean, yeah, he's, the like, guy is an unquestioned top four leader on the team. Right. Just from a leadership perspective, and I know it's not all about leadership, but in my estimation, he was also one of the two most consistent linemen on the roster this year. Maybe the I would say the most consistent player. Right from start to finish this season, and he's you know he's got a you know so that's a tough years, call. Four years, seventeen million. Mitch Morse is one year for eleven. That's <laughs> he's only thirty though. So you know I know the concussion history is probably a concern there too, but I would extend him one year and try to spread the money out a little bit. I, I with the way the offensive line is right now, I don't know that I believe in addition by subtraction. If you can't re-sign Saffold oh, yeah. because his veteran contract is too steep, fine. But Mitch Moore's is under contract. And, man, like I said, I thought he was the most consistent lineman on the team start to finish this season. Do you want to subtract that from the roster just for a cost savings? I'd be more inclined to spread him out and sign him to an extension. That, that's what I would do yeah, to kind somehow, of reduce the somehow, cap hit rather way. than move on from him because you remove him, now your line's even weaker than it was. Just to save $6 million? I don't know if I want to do that. Yeah, I, I think I think you're right because of, for us, all of us out here, I don't know if they see it the same way, but for all of us out here, you don't want to tinker with the O-line. You're anymore. trying to make it better. Exactly. You don't want – move the money around, fine, but don't go backwards. Yeah. Under to any me, you would be if you move on from you got to add to the top of the roster at the, on the offense. If you've got 10 offensive linemen on the ro- on the contract which i don't know maybe they got nine i don't know say they got 10 and i'm just gonna say this too steve the couple of games that he did miss this year there was a noticeable difference yeah yeah exactly there was so, a notable dif- noticeable difference in the functionality of that line how things were executed protection all that stuff my f- point point is this if you're going to tinker with an, a roster of 12 guys on the offensive line Add guys to the top of it and cut off the bottom of it, not, yeah. the, uh, not the other way around. Right. we got to take a break here. Steve and I will close it up with some of our final thoughts next on roster priorities here on One Bills Live, presented by Collida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Welcome back to One Bills Live. Some final thoughts on the tweet sheet in terms of what are your top two roster priorities with the Bills this offseason. Tweet sheet brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving system of the Buffalo Bills. J.W. Sox says wide receiver speed and protection for Josh. Rob says first round wide receiver, re-sign Edmonds. Doug says priority number one is draft Osiris Torrance, guard prospect, out of Florida to protect Allen. Even Mahomes in the Super Bowl couldn't do anything when he was running for his life every play. Second would be to get another playmaker for 17. Overload the offense so much that defensive play doesn't matter. Djack says both should be on the O-line. Enough of the patchwork. I know receiver's a hot take, but if the line can't hold up like against Cincinnati, then the receiver doesn't matter as much. From Josh, O-line, specifically left guard, and hope Spencer Brown takes a step. Second is 
wide receiver, a better number two to let Gabe Soley be a deep threat and a slot wide receiver. Paul says offensive guard and defensive scheme. Rob says re-sign Edmonds, move Benford to safety, sign defensive tackle Jafon Hargrave if possible. He'll be a free agent from Philadelphia. Sign Mike McGlinchey, the right tackle, will be a free agent from San Francisco. Move Ed Oliver to end, draft a wide receiver in the first draft, a few guards and a power back. <laughs> Got a lot there, Steve. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's a lot of irons in the fire. We'll be keeping track of it all through all of this. Uh, we've only got so many draft picks and so much money to spend on free agency. We've already got to do re- some restructures. Those will be the first thing out of the gate. And then we'll see. It's uh, They have done an outstanding job of building this roster. They know how to do it, and I – have full expectation that they're going to do it again. Uh, I am looking at Daniel Jeremiah's top 50 prospects in the draft. He has, and this is the first time I have ever seen this, Steve. He's got six tight ends in his top 50. Six. It is a good tight end draft this year. Really, really strong. So if a receiver prospect isn't there at 27, you got a playmaking tight end that you can pair up with Dawson Knox. That's intriguing. Changes your offensive structure a little bit. Makes the run a more of a threat every down. I don't think it should be ruled out. It might yeah. also impact your run game, too, if you can get a kid Why that not? can block also. Let's go. Think outside the box, dang it. <laughs> That's it for us today here on a Wednesday. Maddie Glab will be filling in for me the next I'm couple of days I'm going to the Sabres tonight. I'm going to the Sabres tonight. They'll see you tomorrow at 1.